Muslims, Christians, and, and the, the zombie. zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Trevor. And this is Howard. And we're continuing our series with former Congressman Mark Siljander, who believes he was wrongfully imprisoned for his work with Muslims. But before we do that, we need to play a clip from last week. So even though Mark loses his seat in Congress, it's not the end for him because he's actually appointed as a uh, as part of the UN and he works a lot as a foreign diplomat. Uh, yeah, and in the UN he gets to travel all over the world and he gets to meet with some pretty interesting people. And I think the best part about his story of working with the UN is he starts to implement some of the things that he couldn't implement while he's in Congress. Yeah, he's freed and up. It gets mind-blowing like you're saying you did what you met with who and you said what and that ended up with what the whole time i'm sitting there listening to his interview going this is mind-blowing trevor give us um some bring us up to speed essentially (laughs) (laughs) we are okay yeah go ahead all right so the first episode is really just us riding up to Charlotte, getting prepared for the the interview, and kind of Howard and I's presuppositions about what this guy's going to be like. Right. Then we do the interview, and the first ep- second episode is about his run in Congress and uh, the few years that he was there and the things he was trying to accomplish, and coming to the conclusion that his faith and his political career uh, were at odds with one another. Right. And he didn't believe that having a political career and having a faith in Christ needed to be mutually exclusive, that they should be able to complement one another. Right. Then even even do better. Exactly. Right, and in so, Congress because of his faith. Exactly. So we start with the question uh, to Mark, like, so what was it like when you didn't win the election? Yeah. It was spiritually devastating. So I thought, well, God has left me because had a sense that this was a destiny arrogant or not that's what was in my heart this was how could this happen my wife was quite joyous <laughs> she didn't quite like the whole life of being in politics it was very busy but then the appointment came to the UN which was exciting but each step of our life as we feel God has abandoned us or we feel that somehow we're out of the will of God God, what the enemy makes for evil, God can definitely turn for good. That's a lesson learned since the day of lost, even till today. Uh, after Siljander wasn't reelected for Congress, he was going to head to the UN. Right. President Reagan uh, appointed him as a UN ambassador. And he has, according to him, a wonderful uh you know, term in the UN and really appreciates his time. Right. And at the same time, he's able to start to implement some of the ideas that he was developing during his time in Congress. But while and when he initially gets to the UN, he's troubled with the fact that the way the UN is working, at least from the American ambassador side, is it's not lining up with his biblical principles again. So he's having this conflict all over again now with his UN appointment. And can he implement the teachings of Christ at the new UN position? I had a wonderful term in the UN, which was enlightening and allowed these many trips overseas to sort of culminate with cultural interactions. But I also found out in interviewing 41 permanent representative ambassadors from every part of the world, Latin America, North, South America, Middle East, Africa, Asia, 
that they all said essentially that America was arrogant. America never asked how they were doing or their opinion about what we as Americans should do. It's always telling we were telling them and insisting that they vote a certain way and that they appease us. And I thought this was horrific diplomacy and that our diplomats need to be retrained. And it also ran contrary as politics in Congress. Diplomacy seems to be running contrary to the teachings of Jesus. All right, so obviously Mark Sildrander at this point is appointed to the U.N. And while he's approaching this appointment, he has a strategy for how he's going to employ foreign diplomacy, and it's going to be based on his faith in Christ. He's going to try it one more time. Didn't right. didn't work for him so well in Congress, but he thinks that the U.N., he could do this because he feels like at the U.N. he's supposed to be making peace, and who better to make peace other than Christ? Right. And his views on Islam is slowly changing over time. Absolutely. Starting with that prayer breakfast, if you heard in the past episodes. Yeah, you know. he's, he's starting to uh, read the Quran. In fact, a friend of mine said, did you know, before I read the Quran, that Jesus is mentioned probably a hundred times in the Quran? I said, that's absurd. If he is, it has to be condemning and negative. He said, no, no, they're all positive. And he was a believer. I just didn't believe it. So that's that statement made me pick up the Quran finally and read it. And I began reading it and underlining every time it said Jesus, Messiah, Holy Spirit, Word of God, healing the sick. I mean, I was absolutely flabbergasted in a positive way. So essentially, Siljander's faced with the same challenge he had in Congress. His faith and his political career are coming to a head once again. Right, and you would think as an ambassador for the UN that they w- this wouldn't be the case. Like, you know, things that he's describing ambassadors as. Um, I would figure that they would be just innate peacekeepers, the kind of guys that would, you know, like, find common ground. Well, that's exactly what he wants to do. And he feels like who better to be a peacekeeper than modeling it through the life of Jesus. And the big issue, of course, is he's working in Muslim countries. Lots of them. And so how do you talk about Jesus in a Muslim country? But think about it for a second. He's also reading the Quran. He's learning about Jesus in the Quran. And this becomes the foundation for his UN appointment. So uh, one of the things that Mark ends up doing in the UN is starting to deal with things like Darfur. United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon says the international community cannot continue to ignore the suffering in the Sudanese region of Darfur. Mr. Ban made the comments in the Republic of Congo on his way to the African Union summit in Ethiopia that starts on Monday. He says he'll ask for firm commitments from the Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir. Dr. Greg Stanton served in the U.S. State Department where he drafted the United Nations... Darfur was raising its ugly head of genocide and mass rapes. There were millions of people, millions, displaced as a consequence of the Janjaweed, who can be likened to Hell's Angels on camels with AK-47s, raping, killing, pillaging. It was tragic. So we decided to re-engage Omar al-Bashir, the president of Sudan, whom we had met a few years prior and prayed with him, for end of the Christian-Muslim war there, and it did ultimately end. But now, after the Christian war subsided, then there was a Muslim-on-Muslim war in Darfur. Christians had nothing to do with Darfur. They were Arab Muslims killing uh, African-cultured Muslims. Uh, it was 
just devastating. But most people in America think, isn't that Christian war terrible? They're killing Christians. There's not a Christian in Darfur. They're Muslims killing Muslims over land, over water, and over cattle and politics. What's Darfur about? Um, so at this point, Darfur has... Previously, Darfur was about Muslims killing Christians right. and pushing them south. And that was in the episode about Missionary Brady, right? He was talking about Sudan and Darfur. Yes. And, okay. and, and so the big problem is so many folks think Darfur is Muslims against Christians. And at one point it was. But then eventually the Christians fled south. Um, even today you have a formation of a new South Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's officially its own country. Right. And then so up in the north, you still have fighting. And so what's happening is you have Arab Muslims killing black African Muslims. And I think Mark's point is the same as uh, people that have lived in the region would say. This isn't about religion because it's Muslim against Muslim now. Right. It's about land, cattle, water, and politics. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we went to see Omar Bashir a second time. Having served in Congress, in the UN, all these, what I consider, wasteful years were actually, God used them as credentialing and opportunities and connections and networks to get in to see people other people can't see. So we spent hours with the president, not minutes, hours talking about Jesus. Okay, so what is he doing that that's the really neat thing. He's now seeing that his term in Congress and his relationships have really opened the door to meet with heads of state, and so he's able to sit down with the president of Sudan. And but he's talking about religion. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about his for faith. hours. Yeah, this so, is what was so mind blowing. I'm like, hold on a second. You did what? Yeah, and he's a UN representative, so I don't get why. What is what is what's going on here? Okay, so if you're dealing in a you know, for instance, with the Soviet Union, you wouldn't sit down with a Soviet uh, diplomat in the 80s and talk about God. Because you would, ha- you, you would have dealing, vodka. You would have vodka, apparently. You're, you're having two competing ideologies, right? You have the ideology of communism, yep. and there is no God. Mm-hmm. And then you have the ideology of America, one nation under God. And so there are two competing ideologies. And when you sit down, if you want to have a conversation about God, it wouldn't be a bridge. It yeah. would be a point a, of contention. A clash. So... What Mark discovers is because he's looking at the Quran, he's seeing things about Jesus, I could sit down with a head of state who's Muslim, and the conversation could center around Jesus, and it works. I'm sitting with the president of Sudan, who's been indicted for genocide by the International Court in The Hague. He said, so how do you handle the Son of God issue, Mark? At this point, I'm just thinking, the president of Sudan is saying, how do you handle the Son of God issue? This yeah. is a, this He's having a cup of tea, and he's like, hey, so... Son of God. Yeah, tell me about it. What do you think? Well, how do you guys deal with this? And I'm just, I can't imagine having a foreign diplomat meeting, from a United States representative meeting right. with a foreign head of state right. sitting down. Especially one that was, a, you know, like convicted of uh, genocide. Mass rape, yeah, genocide, genocide and, and suddenly the conversation centers around Jesus. You know, we believe that's a heresy, Muslims, that you Christians believe that Allah has begotten a son. said, I understand that. And your word, now here's where the Semitic languages come in, of Arabic and Aramaic, your word begotten means conceived normally or sexually conceived. He goes, that's right. 
So the 12 times the Quran mentions <clears throat> that Jesus was beg- not begotten, it means he wasn't sexually conceived. He said, that's right. He said, well, I have good news for you. We actually agree on this matter, and every Christian I know would agree with all 12 references that Jesus was not sexually conceived. He was in a state of shock. He said, you mean Christians don't think Isa, Jesus, as they call him, Isa, was sexually conceived? I said, no. They don't think he came down from heaven in physical form and married Mary in a marriage ceremony? I said, no. He didn't give a wedding. He didn't give her a wedding ring. I said, no, no, we don't think that. Really? Well, how do you think? I said, well, this is a good question. All right, so it is a good question because what the president is asking of Mark is, don't you guys believe that Jesus was born of Mary as God's literal son, his progeny, that God had sex with Mary and produced Jesus? And Mark is essentially saying, that is heresy. I agree with you that that's heresy. God did not have a quote-unquote literal son. And that's a shock to the president. And I think it shocks a lot of Muslims. So this conversation with Bashir shocked him so much, he said, can you come back? So weeks later, we came all the way back to Khartoum. And this time, instead of two or three of his aides, he had a room full of aides, including his political and religious advisors. Because they have to vet me, you know. <laughs> At least I'm claiming that the Quran says this, the Bible says that. So they had to bring their leaders in and the experts. So we spent hours together with the president, with his experts, going through this inquiry. What about the Trinity? And what about this? What about the divine nature of Jesus? What about the cross? Okay, so it goes from meeting with just the president to now meeting with an entire room full of advisors, including religious advisors. Yeah, the president brings on, I don't know where they came from, but they brought, he brought in all these experts about religion and Islam and Christianity. and Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. It doesn't make sense to us because we have this concept of separation of church and state, but it makes sense in a Muslim context. And Mark's strategy of talking about Jesus and bringing his faith into the political arena is actually welcomed in the Muslim context. Yeah, it works. So after hours, we all stand up thinking that I made a mistake and the meeting is over. And he says, now we're having dinner. So we go in this big banquet hall with the 30-some people who are in his, 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 his palace area. And he leans over to me and says, now, Mark, what can we do about Darfur? All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you, you want like, to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. I had never mentioned it in the first trip, never mentioned Darfur in the second. I said, Your Excellency, I have some ideas. I said, You take those ideas and write them. Now, you work with Ban Ki moon, the UN Secretary General, and I'll accept them all. In fact, I want you to go see Darfur. So I jumped in his plane the next morning, drove to Darfur, flew to Darfur, been there three times, Sudan 17 times. 
And we began a year and a half process working directly with Ban Ki-moon, the UN Secretary General. Ultimately, UN peacekeepers were deployed. The rapes and genocide trickled down to the level of Detroit, Michigan. And Ban Ki-moon was so impressed, who's a Buddhist from South Korea, that he wrote the foreword to my book, A Daily Misunderstanding. He did so because he saw that Jesus... Love, so-called kumbaya around the campfire in the mentality of most policy, I mean, he saw it work. And I said, you're actually, this has not only worked in Sudan, I'm telling now, talking to Ban Ki-moon, it's worked in Brazzaville, Congo, to end the conflict. It worked in Kinshasa, Congo, to end the conflict. Western Sahara, to end the conflict. Liberia, at one time, to end the conflict. It works consistently. We achieve success. And it's not us, it's about Jesus. And it's about the power behind Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit and his name that influences people to do the right thing. Mark sees this as being a first success. It didn't work for him in Congress. Uh, It's working in his foreign diplomacy. But I was a little bit concerned about the questions that they were asking. They're good questions. Yeah, Stuff that I think any Muslim probably would ask if they uh, had someone safe to ask them to. Right. Yeah, and, and this is not the only thing that even comes up with uh, uh, Mark. He continues to meet with other world leaders, and they come up with questions that they ask him, which lead him to other ways to be able to build common ground through Scripture. I was talking with one of the top Saudi princes. We had a long lunch together in at Four Seasons Hotel in Georgetown, a very nice place. And I asked him, what does Messiah mean to you, your highness? He said, well, the Messiah means to wipe clean. Because we have a word in Arabic, mishkach, which is a root of Messiah, mishiach, means to wipe, and like clean the table. I said, well, what did Jesus clean? He said, well, he cleaned leprosy and blindness and disease, even cleaned death. I said, wow. So Jesus was a quite a powerful, unique prophet. He goes, oh, yes, yes. So now he's coming back on Judgment Day, correct, in your view? Yes. Okay, what will Jesus' role be on Judgment Day then if he's Mashiach, you know, the cleaner, the wipe clean person? He said, well, he will wipe clean the believers. I said, now how many Muslims think that? He said, not too many. Well, how many could? He said, all of them. Okay, so this Saudi prince, uh, can you tell theologically like where he's at uh, with... Islam? Is he like conservative? Is he, is this a wide belief, what he's talking about with the Messiah? Well, definitely the, you know, like I said earlier, Messiah, Isa al-Masih, the Messiah, the, the, the title is a, a valid one for Jesus and it is given in the Quran. And certainly Jesus plays a major role in the end times in Islam too. He is going to return. He's going to kill the Antichrist and then he's going to offer to lead the Muslim, uh, he's going to be asked to lead the Muslim community in prayer, but he'll refuse and then uh, ask one of the imams to do it in his behalf. And so Jesus has this major role in the end times, and he also is going to issue the judgment decrees of God and decide who goes into paradise and who does not. So he's the judge at the end of time. So all of the Saudi prince's beliefs are very much in line with many Orthodox Muslims. Okay, but what about the cleaning? That's the thing I don't get. He's cleaning disease. Okay, that makes sense. But then cleaning iniquity, sin? Is that common? Yeah, I don't think that I've heard that as a very common theme within much of Islam. So this is not something that uh, 
Well, he even asked the Saudi guy, how many Muslims believe this? Not many, but how many of them could? You know, a lot. And so that's the whole idea. But the big thing for me is, but it's not through the cross. Right, right, right. So that's totally different than what we believe. Right, that's a pretty foundational teaching, the concept of the cross and the atonement through the shedding of the blood of Christ on the cross. Yeah. So that's where it gets a little bit... Um, it starts to separate right. us from the, the Muslims. So I know that the, the theology of the atonement and the cross for Mark is central. We had that conversation, and mm-hmm. he said, most certainly for me, it's the cross. It is the shedding of the blood. But for the Muslims, uh, it may not be. And so then I asked the question, so what exactly would it look like then? So this is stunning. So in other words, it's not if Jesus wipes us clean, it's how and when. He said, yes, he didn't do it on the cross. I said, oh. Uh, oh is right. <laughs> oh is right. That's a, that's a toughie. He didn't do it on the cross. That's a pretty big part of the uh, Christian faith. So, Yeah, what do you do with that? So I believe, essentially, that the Holy Spirit is the worker, not me. The, once the heart and mind is opened by the power of the name of Jesus, the Spirit will, will drive a person to find the ultimate foundation and basis for their salvation. So it sounds like Mark is a super um, idealistic, you know, like a positive person. Like he just looks at people and he sees any kind of movement towards uh, commonality with Christ is... Uh, is a blessing. Yeah, step in the right thing. direction. He has a, uh, Mark has such a positive ad- attitude and, and wants to figure out if there's any open door to point someone towards Jesus that at least at that point the Holy Spirit's doing his work and he's not so worried about all the doctrinal stuff. He kind of looks at it as a little bit of baggage, really. Well, And, and also like that uh, the Holy Spirit will work it out. <laughs> yeah, ultimately that's what the Holy Spirit's for, I think is what he's saying. The yeah. Holy Spirit exists to convict the world of sin, not me, the Holy Spirit. And so if I just point them to Jesus, then that will open the door for the Spirit to begin working in their life, and they will come to the conclusions that Jesus died, rose from the grave. That I, That's what I can hear from him, because just hearing his heart, I don't think he's kind of throwing out this idea of like, hey, we're all the same, let's get around and sing Kumbaya, which right. was my initial thought when I read his book. And, and the other thing is that uh, he's looking at a national level, well, actually international national level yeah level you and i will probably never see yeah and so he's interested in bringing peace and uh and he knows that that uh his you know common ground between muslims and christians is uh is a way to do that yeah so in it sounds like he was pretty successful i mean he told us more stories but just even listening to the story about darfur and the president of sudan and then the saudi prince and there's several others it really kind of boggled our minds. Like, you know, he seemed like he was being really successful. So what exactly was the problem? Yeah. This next part uh, is what started to get us a little bit nervous. Yeah, I feel, I feel a little uncomfortable a little, about it. But a little he, bit. He has a theory as to why um, things started to unravel uh, regarding his working for peace in these areas of the world. 9-11 gave the opportunity for the certain certain elements in the government and interests that, that are in the trillions, not billions, of dollars of profits and contracts gave them the excuse to make Islam the new enemy. Islam is an enemy, as radical Islam. Radical Islam is a threat. So I don't want to apologize for Islam. I'm not going to suggest that 
radicalization is not a problem. Just look at ISIS and the beheading of children and the massacres of people. It's, it's sad and demented. And if you believed in demons, just take one look at what's happening in Syria and Iraq and other places, in Boko Haram and Africa and Al-Shabaab and in, in uh, Somalia and that region. So yes, the devil is at work. And Islam, radicalization of Islam, is the threat. So essentially what he's saying is uh, peace doesn't make money. Yeah, and there's it's way more complicated than just people actually wanting peace, especially these big nations. Right, so this is the point in which, you know, obviously Howard and I don't have a clue nope. what's really going on here because we don't work in politics. Yeah, and we just watch movies. Yeah, so <laughs> obviously this is problematic because uh, Congressman, our former Congressman Siljander feels like uh, his work towards peace uh, was in direct conflict with uh, what would he called the what the broadening of the military industrial complex of the West. Yeah, and and again, we're not naive, and I don't think any of our listeners are naive. We know that there's more reason for people to, uh, you know, get in, interested in co- uh, countries because you know they want peace. You know, right. it's it's more than that. Yeah, there's a lot of competing and conflicting narratives going on at this point in time in history. So, essentially, uh, what happens with Congressman Siljander is he's not going to go away, so uh, his work in these countries ends up landing him in jail. And here's a clip from next week's podcast. The reason I went to prison is very simple. I was interfering in three of the seven countries that Bush wanted regime change. 